0: A Tell Tale Pod Production, Asher and the Spirit Bird. By Jaspinda Bilan Chapter twenty seven I spend all night with my chin pressed into my knees in the corner of the room. I'm terrified of what's going to happen next and what they're going to do with me. My head pounds with the sound of their jagged voices that slink back to haunt me. Eventually, a dull gleam of weak light struggles in through the small glassless window near the ceiling, casting shadows around the filthy room. It's little more than a cupboard, full of dark, cobwebbed corners, and smells as if it's been used as a toilet, turning last night's food into bile in my mouth. On the floor, the mango seedling and my feather lie discarded on the grimy ground, where they were tossed out of my bundle last night. A man rifled through my things, taking Jivan's penknife and the last of my money. One of the seedling's newly sprouted leaves has been knocked off, and the other one is crushed and torn. I scoop up the soil from the ground with my fingers and refold the leaf around the stone. An angry tear escapes onto the seedling as I tuck it safely into the front pocket of my jeans before tying Papa's scarf around my neck. I clutch my pendant, willing it to respond and pray for its rhythm to give me strength. I try to feel for the memories, a sign that I haven't entirely been abandoned. But there's nothing. Jeevan was right all along. It's just my imagination. I beat back the tears because now, more than ever, I have to be strong, just like I was before when Marl told me to believe in myself. I gather my courage and make a promise, even though I don't know how I'll do it. I'm going to find Jivan and get us both out of here. They come for me soon after. Two men who push me out into a huge open yard, a great grey mound at its centre. I hear it smells worse than ever, like the world's most rotten things gathered together in one place. A stream of vomit escapes from my mouth and I swallow the bitter remains, wiping saliva with the back of my hand. Keep moving. One man prods me in the back with a whip and I stumble forwards. Climbing all over the gigantic mound are small groups of children, maybe as many as two whole classes at school. Their heads are bent low, picking through paper and plastic, collecting it into huge sacks that are strapped to their backs. You're to sort the rubbish, pick up medals, electrical wires and glass bottles, and especially anything that looks valuable. Any nonsense? Scowls the man, and you'll feel how hard this whip is. Got it? I block my nose at the stench. Get used to it, he sniggers, pushing the whip into my shoulder. You'll be here for a long time. None of the other children speak or look at me as I walk towards them, and the reason, I see straight away, is that there are more men with hard faces, who march around the junkyard, brandishing long whips, hurling abuse at everyone. A towering brick wall with razor wire along the top stretches all the way around us. Don't cry, I tell myself, desperately twisting the corners of the sack I've been given. Crying won't get us out of here, but the wall is so high, there is no way. I could climb it. The ground below my feet is unstable, and each step I make makes me sink further into the mass of slush. I begin to collect the shards of metal that spike into my thin pumps and drop them into the sack, slipping one into my pocket just in case I need it later. I scan the junkyard, searching for G-Van everywhere, but I can't see him. One of the men throws an old shoe which hits a boy on the leg. The boy clasps his leg in pain and cries out. But everyone carries on working. Not a single person looks at him or bothers to see if he's all right. When I finally spot Jivan in the far side of the mound, the tight knots in my stomach uncurl and I want to rush over immediately, let him know I'm still alive. But instead, I tread cautiously towards him, afraid that they'll lock me away again. I pick up pieces of rubbish with my stick, keeping my eye fixed on Jivan, pretending to search for the things I've been told to as I steadily move closer to him. It's only when I'm nearly there I dare to let out a whisper. Jivan! I keep my head down. Over here! He looks up, straight away. I let out a shuddering breath. What have they done to you? One side of his face has a deep purple bruise, flowering below the eye, and his lip has a long gash with dried blood clots all along it. What happened? A fire of fury burns in my chest, I fight back angry tears. I want to touch his eye. Make it better. Usher, he murmurs, keeping his eyes low. You're safe. What did they do to you? It looks so battered. It makes me insane with anger. They push me around. His voice is quiet, flat. I follow his gaze towards the guards. They threw me against a wall. Jevan oh, I'm so sorry. I risk touching the bruise slightly. I'm gonna get us out How are you gonna do that? I don't I don't know yet. But we'll do it somehow. We'll do it together. I feel for the sharp bit of metal I hid in my pocket, glance up and keep picking at the rubbish. Jivan's face looks so painful. Does it hurt? It's not too bad. He can barely move his lips. I know he's not telling me the truth. His hair has come undone and hangs round his shoulders. His shirt is blood stained and torn. I pause and press my pendant to my chest, close my eyes for a moment and try to connect with my ancestors. And then I feel the rhythm. Usher, my dear girl, do you remember what I told you about being special? There is a reason for everything. And even though it may not seem fair that you are here, it was your destiny to come. Even in the vilest of places, there is beauty, and it is your task to find it. Remember that I was always by your side, even when you were too small to know. I sang to you, and I loved you. The memory disappears quickly, but it gives me a boost, and I move closer to Jivan. We've got to at least try to get out, I say. We can't just give up. He shrugs, looks away, but not before I see the defeat in his eyes. We work all day until my hands, blackened from touching the dirt and rubbish, are scratched all over until the sun hovers overhead and buds an orange hole in the grey sky. And all I know is that I must think clearly. I must make a plan to get away from here and find Papa. A shrill siren sound fills the air. And suddenly everyone stops working. A crowd of children surges forward, pushing and shoving each other, shouting to get ahead. My feet are barely touching the ground as we get carried along with the others towards a barrel of water at the foot of the mound. A boy elbows G-Van hard in the ribs. That's my spot, newbie! He yells, shoving himself in front. And you! Get off my spot, both of you! He glares at both of us. I pull G-Van back. Just leave us alone. Yeah, leave him alone, Taron, says a skinny boy, wearing a filthy T-shirt and tatty shorts. He turns to us. His name's Samir. don't take any notice of him. He forces a smile. My friends call me Sammy, and this is Atika. A girl who reminds me of Rupert pushes forwards. Hi, she whispers. But you're too young to be here, I say. Attica wipes her nose with the back of her hand. I used to live with my uncle, but he lost his job and and he couldn't afford to keep me anymore, so he sold me. that's how I ended up here. Sold you? I can't believe what she's saying. But I guess that's what happened to us, isn't it? The lady in the car exchanged us for money. I don't think I'll ever get out, she replies, her voice on the edge of tears. But I look after you, don't I? says Sammy, putting an arm around her shoulder. Yeah, she says. We look after each other. It's the only way. We move along the queue for water, all the children jostling and grabbing each other. "'Keep going!' cries one of the men, stomping up and down, using a long stick to jab anyone who takes more than a few gulps of water. I push Jivan forward. "'You go first. You've been working for longer than me!' He doesn't even bother to argue. He finishes quickly gives me the cup and I pull the water into my mouth. I'm so thirsty I don't want to stop. But I barely start the first sip before the man pushes me away. "'Hey!' he says. "'What are you? An elephant? Get back to picking! "'Useless mongrels!' He snatches the drink away. I clench my jaw as we walk back up to the mound of rubbish, and carry on picking things off the ground. We're not allowed to stop or rest. We keep looking for wires, cans, anything metal from the dump, and stuff it into the sacks on our backs. The sun disappears behind the tower blocks, and the grey sky starts to darken. There'll be no moon tonight, and I remember how each Diwali we celebrate at home is always on a moonless night. We still have four weeks. A pair of flickering floodlights turn on and I realise we'll be working for hours yet. A few hours later, I brush myself off, wipe the sludge off a tin and examine it closely in the semi-darkness van look, I whisper. What are you going on about? says Givan, looking confused. We've got more important things to worry about than some silly old tin. No, Van I shove it under his nose. There's a Lama on it. I think of my nanaji straight away, convinced that I was meant to find it. It says Himalayan tea. Maybe it's from one of those plantations near Gallipour. It's been sent as a sign to keep us strong. Jivan pushes the hair off his eyes to get a better look. That is quite a coincidence. I think you could be right. He sounds animated and for the first time he might actually believe it's a sign. I slip the tin into my pocket and I think of the spirit bird that watched over our journey, feel for Nanaji's pendant and plead for it to keep me strong. I will find Papa in time and won't let anything stop me from getting out of here that was another tell a tale pod production remember that you can follow share and find more of our podcasts at tellatalepod.podbean.com